everybody, and welcome to another episode of Faithful. My name is Emma. Uh, my name is Christina, sorry. <laughs> I was looking through my notes. <laughs> That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, welcome to another episode. We're here, Faithful, if you've never listened to us before, is, uh, we're a podcast, uh, two girls talking about uh, faith in like popular media in fiction and pop culture and you know, its impact on life and society mm-hmm. and ourselves personally oh yeah it's a good time i'm excited christina's got a topics this time yeah yeah because uh because emma did uh the topic it for the last episode that you heard uh tonight we're gonna just get um very academic uh so <laughs> If you are someone who is not maybe as interested in this as I am, uh, feel free to just kind of, like, tune it out. Like, I will not be offended. <laughs> um, because today, uh, I am going to be talking about The Book of Kells. Ooh, I have seen this movie, but I don't know a lot about it. I should clarify, I'm actually going to be talking about the actual physical Book of Kells. Oh, I have no idea what that is, then. Great. What? I'm so excited. I've never heard of it. The, uh, at some point, uh, disclaimer in the future, I would like to, act, I would like to do a full episode on the movie, The Book of Kells, because it is gorgeous and it has a lot to say, mm-hmm. but I was like, how about if I just talk about the actual physical Book of Kells? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, the Book of Kells, in this case, is an, it is an illuminated manuscript. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of vocab and then definitions. Uh, do do not feel obliged to take notes. <laughs> um, it is an illuminated manuscript. So in this case, it was it is a manuscript for in this case the four gospels uh, from the Christian Bible, with I believe a few other like informational tables and stuff included. Uh, where it was written out and then illustrated to varying extents throughout the book. Um, mm-hmm. In some cases, it was just like little little doodles that got included along like the lines of the written text. In other cases, it was a full-blown carpet page, as they're called, where the entire page is taken up with this giant, luxurious illustration. Uh, and I think there's somewhere around 400 pages... Of this book, oh, wow. of of this Bible. Well, not, it's not a Bible, but it's the, it's the book, the Book of Kells. Uh, one of the websites I looked up was calling it was abbreviating it to be okay, and I had a hard time not thinking it was like, fuck, like a chicken, chicken noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so history wise, the Book of Kells was made sometime around the uh either the late 8th or the early 9th centuries so we're talking like late 700s early 800s uh and it was made in either England or Ireland uh but has been uh it it, it has been kept in Ireland for a very long time and it is considered one of Ireland's national treasures oh cool um part of why this book is so precious is because of the fact that it was made uh, at the time of recording, I don't know why I just worried about saying this, because <laughs> I don't know when, I don't know how much longer podcasts are going to endure as a medium, uh, <laughs> but it was, but this, this book was made over, over 1,200 to 300 years ago, 
and it is wow. still preserved. That's crazy. Like, it has gone through a lot. Um, at one point, it was stolen by Viking raiders because at the time of its creation, it was made with a very ornate decorative cover inlaid with gold and jewels. Mm. And when the abbey that the Book of Kells was kept at was ransacked by Viking raiders, uh, they tore the cover off the book and left the rest of it, presumably in some kind of a puddle. Uh, or, like, buried in the dirt. <laughs> and then they found it after, like, the raid had happened. And from there on, it's been very, very carefully preserved, mm -hmm. rebound through the years as need be. And now it is at uh, Trinity College, I think, in uh, Dublin, Ireland, or maybe Dublin. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce it. And I should have, I have people that I should have asked before. I think in America it could be either way. Okay, cool. I apologize, I am American. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, uh, part of what makes the Book of Kells so iconic is because it is just so, it is so heavily, uh, it is so heavily illustrated and so intricately illustrated. Like, the book itself was assembled on, uh, using vellum for the page material. Oh. Uh, vellum, in this case, is the, essentially the processed skin of calves. Mm. And they just, they made it, they made it into, like, very thin pieces so it could be turned, like, like pieces of paper in a book. Sure. But because it was still thicker than paper... If the, if the writers or calligraphers, the scribes or whatever, made a mistake, they could, like, literally scratch it out of the out of the vellum and go over their mistake. Oh, wow, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so, like, this entire book is made out of vellum, uh, which, I, which I don't think holds up the best. Definitely better than paper, but less well than other materials. I know that they make, I'm, like, in a print and production class right now. Uh, mm -hmm. for my degree and I know that they make like paper that's like called vellum but it just has yes. like the like sort of finished like it's just like yeah. synthesized what it yes. would kind of be like oh so yeah. yeah 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 I I have worked with artificial vellum quite a lot partially because in in like especially if you're in art school uh you have to use vellum a lot for like oh print this on an overlay so you can like lift it up and see what's beneath it yeah it's it kind of has like a frosted look to it more so than tracing paper does. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, said, yeah, yeah. It has that like different finish to it, but no, this is like actual. This is actual non-vegan vellum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, a uh, part of what is interesting about it too is that the entire book of Kells is only done in four colors. <laughs> oh. Wow. Uh, the four colors in this case are red, black, purple, and yellow. Interesting. Yeah, and unless I'm mistaken, whatever inks they would have used, except for the black ink, would have all had to have been made from imported materials. Oh, sure. Because they were... This was... I'm, I'm just going to go into the assumption that this was made on Ireland, or in Ireland on probably one of the islands, uh, and they probably did not have an awful lot of resources to make a variety of colorful inks, so they had to import materials to make it sure sure but yeah uh it was made by it was written 
by at least three different scribes who were doing the actual writing of the text, mm-hmm. and then at least four different illustrators. Okay. But we do not know any of their names. Oh. Because they, none of them wrote it down, and we don't have any kind of a record about who made the Book of Kells. Right, right. But people who have studied it can tell that there are, like, three different people writing just by, like, minute differences in the in the script and stuff. Gotcha, okay. And same thing for the illustrators. Sure. That's really interesting, actually. It It is super interesting, especially because, like, the people who would have been making this, like, they probably would have been working day and night on hand creating this book but yeah that's amazing Mm -hmm. uh other notes on the book of kells um this is something that i didn't know until actually yesterday when i was doing research for it uh the book of kells was meant it was actually never really meant to be used as like a book that you could sit down and read Mm -hmm. it was meant to be put on display and like shown to people like oh it's obviously since it's containing the four gospels it is a christian holy text Mm -hmm. and in this case it would have been displayed on the altar during a during a during a service okay just as a way to like just as like a visual reminder of like and a way to inspire people to meditate on the gospels or whatever during the ceremony the first like Uh, powerpoint yeah really um (laughs) But part of why it was never read was because it was kept in an abbey, and all of the monks that were there at this point had all of the readings memorized. Oh, sure. So they didn't even need to read from it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I will talk in a bit about the symbolism, like, that is shown in the Book of Kells, but I wanted to touch real quickly on what is arguably the most famous page out of the entire Book of Kells, which is the Cairo. Uh, if you have seen it before, uh, it is, or if you if you may or may not be familiar with it, it is the, it is the big decorated page. It looks like the letter X intersected with a P, which is the, and there's like an I in the corner too. So it's the Greek letters Chi, Rho, and Iota which in Greek are the first three letters of Christ's name. Oh, okay. Christos. Sure. So uh, I'm actually going to send you a link real quick, Please Emma. Please do. Uh, that has pictures that we can reference throughout the episode. So it is, uh, it is just an absolute masterpiece of illustration, mm. um, in part because the actual book was probably... Like, eight and a half, but I actually, here, wait, I'm, it's going to bug me if I don't look it up. What are the page dimensions? Oh, the Book of Kells is 13 by 10. 13 inches by 10 inches. Okay. And, like, the degree of detail that you can see, even from just, like, looking at one of the various, like, images you can find on Google, uh, it is just, it is mind-blowing the level, the scale that people had to work at to be able to uh, actually, like, design this. Yeah. Wow. Uh, part of why the Cairo is one of the iconic ones is because it is one of the more intact pages that is available. Mm. Like, it's definitely suffered a lot of, uh, definitely suffered a lot of um, weather damage over the course of the years. 
uh, but the fact that it is still as intact as it is um, has made it very popular with, I guess you could say, admirers through the years. Sure, yeah. Um, when I was looking, I was looking up ways that uh, like people have used the Cairo over the centuries, and apparently, at one point, it was very common for uh, like famous people or not famous people, but people with money, uh, mm-hmm. to embroider, to not embroider, uh, embroider pieces of the Cairo, like, on their clothes. Oh, like, wow. They would, they would put it on their clothes. They would, like, not engrave, but they would, like, they would add it, they would add the designs to pieces of pottery. Oh, they sure. would, like, uh, they would, like, incorporate it into, like, probably, like, knitting and weaving, too, because part of why it's so intricate is because a lot of the Book of Kells uses, uh, uses Celtic knotwork as a style, mm-hmm. which, uh, my, my roommate actually is very invested in Celtic knotwork, and I can tell you, it takes a very long time <laughs> to actually design. Sure, yeah. Uh, one sec. I'm actually going to go to her Instagram right now because she has, I, I should also mention that part of why I am so, uh, interested in the Cairo is because my roommate actually recently finished a commission where she, uh, where she did a reproduction of the Cairo. Oh, wow. I will send you this link as well because it is incredible. That should take you right there. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. It uh it is it is truly truly incredible. And like the fact that like she was reproducing this on a much larger scale, so thinking about what kind of a scale the original illustrators were working on is just mind boggling. Yeah, really. Part of why uh, the Cairo is, or not the Cairo, the Book of Kells is so important is because, like, back when it was created, a lot of the times the people that the monks were trying to, like, minister to, so literally anyone who was not a monk or nobility uh, or maybe, like, a merchant was not able to read. And so, like, if you are someone who has... uh, if you're someone who was in the modern day and you've been evangelized to, you probably got a brochure, but they couldn't hand out brochures right. in, in 7th century or in 8th century Ireland. Right. So what they would do is they would like, they would have illustrated manuscripts, maybe not to this extent, but they would have things they could show people to help them tell the story and to help the listener understand what was going on. Sure. Uh, without having to worry about whether or not they could actually read what they were being told. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and as far as the, uh, oh, um, most of the, I'm kind of skipping around my notes here. Uh, most of the pages of the Book of Kells have what is called a historiated initial, which is essentially like where you start a page with a big fancy letter. Right, sure. Like, like you know that you know the SpongeBob gif where it's like, oh, or not SpongeBob gif, the SpongeBob, the SpongeBob bit 
where he starts rioting and it's just a big fancy letter T and the word the. <laughs> that, yeah. That is a historiated, uh, that is a historiated initial. Got it. Um, in general, if the Kells illustrators did not have a certain thing they had to draw for a page, like if they didn't have to draw the Cairo, if they didn't have to draw a particular portrait of a gospel writer, they pretty much just filled like the margins and the historiated initials with whatever they wanted. <laughs> Usually it was something vaguely related to the text that was, that it was going to be accompanying. Sure. Like there's a part which they mention the word uh, turn away. And the drawing by that is of a figure literally facing away from the word turn away, <laughs> like showing like, yes, hello, turn away. Um, they also apparently included these illustrations as a way to, like, serve as a hyphen, like a tech, like a text break. Oh, sure. So they would, uh, they would finish a line, realize they'd run out of room, draw an illustration with, like, red dots around it, and then continue the text as part of that, as part of that illustration. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which is just, like, to me, that is the most... A roundabout way of doing that but <laughs> you know what the illustrators and the scribes were almost certainly not in great working conditions so if it made them happy good for them <laughs> okay how are you feeling so far I i'm following threw a lot of information at you <laughs> no it's good i'm following it okay cool uh feel free to stop me otherwise i am going to go into the some of the more symbols that are uh shown in the Book of Kells. Go ahead. This section is a pretty good section. Uh, obviously, since it is a holy text, uh, there's a lot of symbols in it. Yep. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of symbols that are meant to symbolize Christ. Uh, notably, a lot of the symbolism in the Book of Kells uh, are of things or figures or... Uh, excuse me, of things or figures or uh, stuff from the natural world that mm -hmm. not only has a connection to Christianity, but also to, like, actual, like, Celtic religious tradition. Or oh, more of, like, the pagan traditions, whatever. However you want to phrase it, it's sure. connected to both. Got it, okay. Which is interesting because, like, in the spread of Christianity, I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of the way that Christianity spread was by appropriating local traditions and <laughs> repurposing them to support Christianity's own uh, ideals. True. And needs as they came across them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, notably, like, there's, uh, like, the actual Celtic cross. Like, you know, you've probably seen it. It's like the Celtic knotwork and everything. Mm. It's got, like, the circle around the center of the cross. Yeah. Uh, that is a symbol of the Celtic sun god, uh, Tyrannus, but also of Christ. Yeah. Because <laughs> Christians were like, yep, let's look at that cross. We're going to take that, put that in our grocery bag. <laughs> um, all of the Celtic knotwork uh, is a symbol both of eternity and protection from evil. But also in some cases of the Christian Trinity, mm -hmm. because it's usually like based on like a three point system or something. And three oh, points sure. For the Trinity. Um, apparently, there's a mention of the Tree of Life, which is strictly a pagan uh, connection 
because uh, it, it is, like, it, apparently in Celtic tradition, the Tree of Life represents both, like, everything that you could need in life, as well as the connection between the afterlife and the mortal coil, such as it were. Sure, sure. Um, uh, there's a lot of books shown in the Book of Kells, like, people are portrayed as holding books, reading books, that kind of a thing. Oh, sure. Uh, to tie back into the whole using the Book of Kells as, like, a missionary aid to go out and speak to the people. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they were not necessarily subtle with this. <laughs> they were like, see this picture of a guy with a book? That's me! And it could be you, too! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> subtlety has no room when you're putting gold leaf on the inside pages of a book. Yeah, for real. Uh... There's a lot, I didn't know this beforehand, um, there's a lot of angels in the Book of Kells. Uh, traditionally, you know, angels are meant to be, like, the messengers of Christ. Um, but in the Book of Kells, a lot of the ones that are depicted are smaller, like, and they're, they're like, hidden in and among the different portions of illustrations, because at the time, people believed that angels hid from all but a chosen few people. Oh. Which was why they made, but that angels were, like, angels were just everywhere, but you couldn't see them because they were too small. Not that they were invisible, they were too small. That's adorable. It is adorable. So they put lots of little tiny angels all around the Book of Kells. I actually love that. I kind of love it too. Um, they mention, uh, they mention, I saw an article that which mentioned, like, the lozenge. As uh, a part of the Book of Kells, which in this case is, like, a diamond, like, the traditional diamond shape. Oh, okay. And apparently it's because it's, like, it's a cosmic symbol for the four points means the four corners of the Earth with oh, okay. Christ at the center of the universe or something. That To me, that's a little bit more of a stretch, but, you know, it's fine. I found a source. I can cite it. <laughs> um... Since the Book of Kells is mostly the four Gospels, uh, a lot of the images that are shown are ones relating to the four Gospel writers. Sure. Or uh, as they're called in uh, in at least Catholicism, maybe also other uh, sects of Christianity, uh, the Evangelists. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Um, yeah. So there's, there's Matthew, uh, which is the first Gospel. He is represented by a man... Like, all of, all of these symbols have wings. So the man has wings, even, which I guess would technically make him appear similar to an angel. Uh, but it's whatever. Um, and Mark is a lion with wings. Uh, Luke is either a calf, a bull, or an ox, depending on which phrase you want to use. Mm -hmm. uh, also with wings. And then John is the eagle, who only has one pair of wings, doesn't get two, just gets oh. one. Aren't, aren't those, like, the animals that, um, that are in Revelations? Uh, there, I saw some stuff that was connecting the four animals of the Gospel writers to the four, uh, beasts that are mentioned in Revelation. Um, for context here, in the book of Revelation, there's a point at which, uh, St. John of Patmos has a vision where he sees four animals surrounding the throne of heaven. Uh, I don't remember if there's any mention of what specifically those animals are. I feel like it's, like, been translated a lot, where, like, they're, 
are animals, but I don't know if those are actually like what was written written originally. Yeah, yeah, because because that's the thing. Like, it's similar to like a lot of symbolism. Like, once something, once a once a meaning for a symbol becomes popularized, like people will go back and work it into whatever they can. They will oh, apply it to sure. whatever they can. Yeah, and yeah. then it gets passed on through generations of translations of the Bible. Yep. Um, I also should note that apparently the four symbols of the evangelists also represent, uh, the stages of Jesus's life. Oh, um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the man is meant to represent Jesus's death, as in Jesus died as a man. Yeah, yeah. Although I also saw it represented as the incarnation of Jesus, which makes a little bit more sense than the death to me. Um, the lion is meant as a symbol of resurrection. Uh, then the bull represents, uh, either the passion of Christ or Jesus's birth, because oxen or whatever were present at Jesus's birth. Uh, although notably the ox, uh, also represents, uh, power and wealth in, uh, the Celtic tradition. So oh, that was a fun little connection in there too. Sure. And the eagle obviously represented uh, Jesus' ascension because they were like, it's already got wings. It's ascension. There you go, yeah. Some some of the symbolism here is just, it's barely a reach. <laughs> they went with the easiest common denominator on it. <laughs> I mean, whatever helps people understand it, though, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'll touch back in on the animals in a sec, because they had some real interesting ideas relating to animals and what they thought that animals could do. <laughs> um, the, uh, the Eucharist, so, uh, essentially, like, the, like the, the sacramental bread, uh, and wine is shown, uh, is shown throughout both as, like, the actual, like, pieces of bread and also as, like, the chalices to drink out of. Sure. And notably, like, like, I think wherever they could, they showed, like, animals and, like, more human figures, uh, like, both receiving the bread and also uh, drinking from the chalice mm-hmm. uh, as a way to, like, show, oh, hey, like, all God's creatures are part of creation and part of the communion between God and the earth. Or sure. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they mention on, like, the Cairo page... And when I say they, I mean people who have analyzed it, not the actual writers who are, like, making notes in the margins of the Cairo. <laughs> right, right. Um, they mention that the Cairo page contains cats and mice, which are meant to represent the Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, otters, specifically otters, to represent the sea and the waters. And moths to represent the sky. Interesting. Because the, the Cairo page is what starts off like in the like in the beginning there was Jesus or something along those lines. I actually cannot remember how. I think that's Luke's gospel begins. But it's meant to like portray the connection between like, yes, here is God. God is the earth and the sea and the sky. Mm-hmm. Like, and so they put in animals to symbolize all of those. Cool. Um they also had a whole bunch of other animal symbols throughout that they associated with other things. Um, there are, there's a lot of fish 
which is both linked to the miracle of the loaves and fishes, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which is where Jesus, uh, which is where Jesus was uh, essentially giving a sermon to a very large crowd of people, and it was long enough that people went to have dinner afterwards, but none of them had enough food to eat, so Jesus multiplied uh, the fish uh, and bread loaves that a little boy had brought with him, and from that boy's lunch was able to feed the entire large crowd of people and have leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the fish that are shown throughout the Book of Kells also apparently connect to the Salmon of Knowledge, which is... I don't remember which specific part of Irish uh, folklore or Celtic religion it is tied to, but it's something about the Salmon of Knowledge. I did not look that part up ahead of time. That's fine. Uh, Actually, there's also a lot of snakes in the Book of Kells, but even though, you know, like, traditionally snakes are equated to, uh, if you remember our Good Omens episodes, the devil. (laughs) Um, But apparently that's because... Christian opinion at the time was also that snakes could represent uh, resurrection because of how snakes shed their skin. Oh, sure. Uh, and then they become, like, new. Um, there, are, there are lions pictured aside from the gospel writer imagery uh, as a symbol of resurrection uh, because apparently at the time people believed that lion cubs were all born dead, like they all were born stillborn. Oh. And then after three days, uh, the male lion would come by and breathe on them and bring them back to life. <laughs> That'd be pretty wild. Which is, that's just like, that is just such a buck wild thing. You're like, God, that, that one's kind of on the nose. <laughs> and like, I'm, I'm just surprised they didn't try to go for like the tradition of like, the sacrificial lion, and instead make the lion a symbol of sacrifice. Like, look at the look at the bravery of this lion as it lays down its life for its cubs or whatever. But, nope. Uh, magical lion resurrection breath. <laughs> um, there's a lot of peacocks mentioned in the Book of Kells, uh, because they believed that peacock's flesh did not decay after death, so it was a symbol of incorruptibility. Oh, okay. Which, like, I don't know where you got that from, homie, but it's fine, I guess. Did they, like, just discover peacocks? <laughs> I I have no clue. Um, Part of it is because, like, so many of these creatures, like, about the- just about the only animals that- are portrayed even somewhat realistically in the Book of Kells are the animals that the monks would have been able to be in contact with on the islands. Sure, yeah, no. That's, so, like, you know, sense. chickens, otters, fish, birds, bulls, but yeah. not, like, not lions, not peacocks, uh, definitely not, like, angels or dragons or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, then there's more, there's more, like, recurring vine imagery because, probably because of the, the, uh, the line from, I think one of the gospels of, like, I am, Jesus speaking, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So, Mm -hmm. the, the Kells illustrators were like, yep, let's go, let's get all these vines in here, fill the space, fill the space. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, listen, I, so as a graph design student, I'm doing like a magazine layout right now. And listen, if there was some motif that I could use to fill up any empty space I wanted to, I would use that as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I completely understand why they were doing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I already mentioned the moths. Uh, they were special to in this context because their natural metamorphosis was linked to resurrection. Oh. I guess they just didn't get a lot of butterflies in Europe at the time, so they were like moths. <laughs> Let's go for the moths. Uh, there's also otters because legends say that the otters supplied the monks with uh, fish and salmon. <laughs> Oh. Like, literally just, like, gave them fish and salmon to eat. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I was definitely not expecting to learn. <laughs> Regardless of how actual true, of how, like, actually true it is. It's just an interesting story. Yeah, I like it. Um, and then the other big animal uh, connection was that uh, the mice and the rodents were always portrayed with cats. Mm-hmm. Although there was some weird dichotomy because it was like either the rodents were being portrayed as like the unworthy receivers of the Eucharist, and then the cats were there to be their punishment to the unworthy. Okay. Or the mice were human sinners who uh, were saved by the Eucharist, and then the cats were just the devil there to attack them. Both of these aren't great. Yeah, neither of those are great, especially not for the cats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you would think that, like, they would look a little bit more fondly on cats because they were probably- cats were probably helping to keep the the rodent population and the pest population down, but I'll have to forgive them for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's honestly most of it. Uh... The Book of Kelps is just very, like, it is inspiring to me because, like, the people who made it, like, they put so much work into it because, I mean, probably because they had to, but the work that they made is very inspiring, and I haven't seen it in person. I would very much so like to because I, I imagine it's something where, like, you see it, especially in person, and it's like, like, how did human beings make this? It's like... Um, mm-hmm. It, my, from my understanding, it's a very good, like, demonstration of, like, like divine influence on the creation of works. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because, <laughs> like, it was, like, it definitely came from divine inspiration. They were literally illustrating the Gospels, talking about Jesus and his life. <laughs> God, yeah, that is so cool. I, um, at, at my church, uh, before I moved to college, um... I used to volunteer as, like, an artist that would just draw during our worship um, sessions, right? And some of the other artists were um, a lot smarter than me and would, like, pray and plan ahead of time, but I usually did it standing there, right at the easel. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, so, like, I've never created anything like the Book of Kells, but, like, I can definitely relate to that, you know, especially the illustrator's uh like just trying to draw what god was telling them to draw what was the uh what was the art used in your services for was it just like draw it was draw along kind of a thing it, yeah it, it didn't really have 
have to have anything to do with like the sermon or what was being sung about it was just kind of like a our church um really believes in like um different ways that you can like express yourself and like worship and so like yeah there's people who sing and there's people who dance and we have like flags that people can use and like stuff like that um and i think somebody just one day who's on the staff was like hey people can use art for that too and they were like great idea we'll get an easel and so there's a little stand there that's got an easel and a nice big paper and um a bunch of paints and like pastels and all the tools you could think of underneath it yeah yeah and so I would do that every other week. That's really neat. Yeah, it was fun. I wish I I I cannot say that I ever got that I ever was encouraged to do that when uh <laughs> when I was growing up we always had like the little booklets or whatever that mm-hmm. came with like a coloring page you would get them when you went off to like kids church during mass. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. And then we'd sit there and color and then I would and then I would if I didn't bring my own crayons, I would probably like have brought a crayon back with me from kids church and i feel like i probably sat there coloring through a lot of masses when i was growing up Mm -hmm. not necessarily (laughs) intentionally but i mean yeah it some people yeah if you just need it to like pay attention or whatever i mean i doodle during class all the time oh yeah same Me too. Huh? I said me too. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot else to mention about the Book of Kells. Um, Part of this is honestly just like laying groundwork for a future episode where we can talk about the actual movie, the Book of Kells. Yeah, I think, yeah, I would like to watch the movie again now. Like, I honestly didn't know that the Book of Kells was a thing before I watched the movie. So maybe that would help me understand it a little bit better. But yeah, I don't have a whole lot else, so I guess this is going to be a real short episode for y'all today. <laughs> oh, oh well, <laughs> you can get on to your other podcasts now. You're welcome. Yeah, it's just, this is something that I'm passionate about, and even though I can't quite articulate like how much it means to me like as far as faith or religion goes, it is important to me, and it is... It, it is faith-related, so I was like, I'm just going to talk about it on the show. So Yeah, absolutely. I love this. This was so fun to learn about. The more you know. <laughs> do you want me to do the outro then? Yeah, sure. All right. Let's do it. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Faithful, as always, is part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pippa, all those good things where podcasts are found. Um, our music, our theme music, is uh, called Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketza. Uh, we can be reached um, by email at faithfulpod at gmail.com. That's with two L's. Or through our Twitter at faithfulpods, two L's, one S. And since we're still relatively new, uh, please rate and review us wherever you're listening. Uh, we super appreciate it. Um, and if you do review us, I don't think we've gotten any reviews yet. But if you do, we'll read it. Mm-hmm. Just so you Girl's know. Just got promise. <laughs> Wink. Anyway. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, keep, keep the, the faith. faith.
That is a big mood. 